peace, well-being, health, safety, harmony, satisfaction, completeness, delight, wholeness. All these things make up shalom and this is God's vision for our life and our world. Sadly, we are far from it. But just because we're far from it doesn't mean God's vision has changed. Instead, he's made a way for this vision to become a reality. Join Vintage Church for this four-week journey as we discover God's vision and how he's called us to be a part. I've never met you before. My name is Dustin Turner. I serve as the lead pastor of Vintage Church. Welcome again to those watching online as well. If you have a Bible, open it up to the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 65 is where we're going to be. If you're new to the Bible, you can kind of turn right there in the middle and you will find that. We'll also have the words on the screen for you as well. We are wrapping up a four-week series that we've been in simply called Vision. And what we've been talking about for these last four weeks is really what is not our vision for our lives, but what is God's vision for our lives, for our lives as individuals, for our life as the church, and, and even the vision that is for our community or our world. What is that vision? And so we spent week one looking at how the foundation of that vision or the source of that vision has to come from outside of us. We are not the source of this vision. This vision comes from who? God. It comes from God. It comes from His character and what He's done and continues to do on our behalf. Week two, we looked at how we have a responsibility. And that responsibility is a spiritual responsibility. That we have been called part of our flourishing or that vision is that the only way to experience that is to have a relationship with Jesus. And to be changed by Jesus. And so we have a part to play as followers of him to extend that message of the gospel. To share that message. And to help people understand how that's the only way to that kind of life, that kind of vision. Last week we talked about, uh, again, the physical responsibility. How we have a part to play in taking care of the tangible, real needs that people have that help lead to vision. And this week what we're going to talk about is the end of vision. What's the point? What's the destination? Where are we headed? That idea of shalom, right? That Hebrew word shalom means peace at the most basic level, but it has this deeper meaning of flourishing. And what we've been talking about is how that is God's vision for our lives, to flourish. But there must be an end to that vision. And what I mean when I use that word end is what's the goal? Where are we headed? What's the destination? And what we're going to see in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 65, is a picture of that end. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. Here's kind of the, the big idea for today. The end of God's vision offers hope for tomorrow. Everybody say tomorrow. It offers hope for tomorrow and purpose for today. Everybody say today. The end of God's vision offers hope for tomorrow and purpose for today. So let's look at Isaiah chapter 65 
After we read, I'll give you a little bit of context about what's going on in this book. This is what the author Isaiah writes. He says, For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy and her people to be a gladness. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. No more shall be heard in it the sound of weeping and the cry of distress. No more shall there be in it an infant who lives but a few days or an old man who does not fulfill, fill out his days. For the young man shall die a hundred years old, and the sinner a hundred years old shall be accursed. They shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not labor and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For like the days of a tree shall be the days of my, the days of my people be. And my chosen shall long enjoy the work of their hands." They shall not labor in vain or bear children for calamity, for they shall be the offspring of the blessed of the Lord and their descendants with them. Before they call, I will answer. While they are yet speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb shall graze together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox, and the dust shall be the serpent's food. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, says the Lord. Isaiah chapter 65 now, you have to understand what's going on. Isaiah was a prophet to the people of Israel. And any time in, in the prophets, typically what there was is there was judgment. The, the prophet would declare judgment on the people of Israel from the Lord and say, listen, this is why God is judging you. You've been breaking his law. You've not been following him and loving him well. You've not been loving other people well. And so there's judgment, but then there's always hope. God in the prophets never left his people saying like, this is it. This is the judgment. It's over. There's no more hope for you. God always said, listen, there is hope if you turn back. And in Isaiah 65, what we get is we get a glimpse into that future hope. Not just that kind of future hope that's like, hey, that'll be in a few years or a few weeks or a few days, but that kind of future hope that looks to the very end what reality will be like when it's all said and done and when God makes all things new. That's what we get in the book of Isaiah. And there, there's two things that I want, to, I want you to think about this morning. The first thing is this. The hope is God's faithfulness. The thing I told you just a moment ago is that the end of God's vision offers hope for tomorrow. And the reason that we can have hope for tomorrow is because of God's faithfulness. So go back and again, look at Isaiah 65. What does the Lord promise? In just a few verses, we get some incredible promises from the Lord. Number one, in verse 17, there will be creation without sin. There will be creation without any sort of brokenness, without any sort of problem of evil, without any sin, creation without sin. Number two, in verses 18 through 19, there will be joy without weeping. There will be no more tears. There will be no reason to weep and mourn because there will only be joy. Verse 20, there will be life without death. This is what we talk about when we talk about eternal life. Life without death. Next, in verses 21 through 24, there will be blessing without curse. 
There will be no need for a curse because God has made all things right. And so what we will experience is just the blessing that God offers us. Blessing without curse. And lastly, verse 25, there will be peace without conflict. These are all the sorts of things that God promises, not only to the people of Israel, but to the people of God. Christians who follow Jesus, what the new heavens and the new earth look like, and what God is promising in these few verses is what we have been talking about for the last three weeks. What God promises is what? Flourishing. What God is promising here, this is the vision of shalom. This is what that peace looks like. This is what God's intention all along was. And this is why the last two weeks we've talked about this. This is why we have a spiritual responsibility and at the same time a physical responsibility. We have a part to play in all of this. But God makes this promise. And what he promises is flourishing. Now, Here's some important things to keep in mind about this. Number one, this is divine intervention. This is God stepping in and doing what only God can do. Look again at verse 17. The very beginning of this section, what does he say? For behold, I, I create new heavens and new earth. God is the one who creates this future. God's the one who extends this flourishing, or this kind of shalom. This is something that only God can do. But number two, this is an eschatological vision. Big word, right? Everybody say it with me. We're going to break it down. Eschatological. Eschatological. There you go. I'm so proud of you guys. That word is just a big fancy theological word that means end. So in the, I know, why don't we just say end, Right? Why can't it be easier than that? But when we talk about eschatological, what we're talking about is the end. That there's something to come. The last few weeks, one of the things that we've talked about is we've talked about how in the New Testament, when we talk about the end of days or the last times, we're not necessarily talking about crazy things like blood moons in the sky. We're just simply talking about how when Jesus came and he died and he rose, that initiated the end. And so this vision that God has of flourishing, it's an eschatological vision. That's important for us. Listen to what one scholar says about this. Christian experience is one of waiting, longing, and preparing for God's return to the earth in Christ's second coming. Therefore, human flourishing, note this, cannot be experienced fully. Christian flourishing, human flourishing, cannot be experienced fully because the end for which God created the world and humanity has not yet been consummated. This is why this is so important. It's an eschatological vision, meaning we are going to get tastes of it now, but we are not going to experience the full effect of what true human flourishing, what shalom looks like until the very end. So we have to remember that it's, it's eschatological. It's about the end. But at the same time, this has already begun. 
It's what we talked about when we talked about the kingdom of God and this now, not yet. That it's here, but it's not yet fully. All of this began in Jesus' ministry. Look at the Gospel of Luke in Luke chapter 4. Jesus in Luke chapter 4, he begins his ministry. And one of the first things that he does is he walks into a synagogue, which is where Jews went to learn and worship. And he opens up a particular scroll. He opens up the Isaiah scroll which is what we read, the book of Isaiah. And he starts to quote from it. Listen to what Luke writes about this. And Jesus came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. Verse 18, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind. To set at liberty those who are oppressed. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Just a side note. Doesn't all that sound like flourishing? Jesus is saying, this is what I've come to do. Verse 20. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. What Jesus is doing when he quotes Isaiah is he's saying, Listen, I'm the fulfillment of this particular prophecy. What Isaiah was writing about, I'm the one who's come to do this very thing. So while this vision of flourishing is eschatological, meaning that it's going to come to an end in the future, at the same time, it's already here. It's already here because Jesus has already come. He came to earth and he put on flesh because he's God and he became human and he went to the cross and he died on the cross and he rose from the grave defeating sin, death, and hell. And in his ministry and in his death and in his resurrection, he began the kingdom work. So there's a sense in which God's vision for our lives, our church, our world, it's already begun. And yet at the same time, we understand that it's not yet finished. Ephesians chapter 1, Paul says this. He's talking about what God has done. He says that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that's named, not only in this age, but in the one to come. And he put, God put all things under his feet. Whose feet? Jesus' feet. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him, who fills all in all. So there's this present reality that Jesus has inaugurated. He's begun the kingdom. And there's this reality that he's returning to finish it. But in the meantime, he is in heaven with the Father, ruling and reigning at the right hand of God. And all things, including evil, has been put under his feet. Meaning he has dominion over them. He rules and reigns. Now, here's what I love about this passage. I love the way that this section of Isaiah ends. 
It simply says, after all of those things, says the Lord. If you're you're reading the King James Version, it probably says what? Thus saith the Lord. Meaning, these are the words of the Lord. And part of why it says that is it says this because what God began, He will finish. What Isaiah is getting at, and he's saying, listen, these aren't my words, guys. These are God's words. And every time God speaks what He says He will do, He will finish, He will accomplish, He will bring to completion. So this future hope that we have of what this vision of flourishing will look like will come to pass not because we're something, not because we have the skill or ability, but because of who? The Lord, God, Jesus, because He is faithful. He's faithful. This past uh, two weeks ago, I tried something for the first time, and it was life-changing. Has anybody ever had in this room chicharrones? Anybody? Raise your hand. Now, I'm not talking about like the pork rinds that are in the bag. I enjoy those. Right, I enjoy getting, you ever had the pork rinds with the Louisiana hot sauce on the front? That's like my road trip snack. And what I mean by that is like I eat that in one sitting. As I'm driving, the whole bag, it's a small bag. It's not a big bag. It's a very small bag. Those are great. But the other week, Nick Perrett, he came into the office, our generations director. I'm amazed at Nick's diet. I'm amazed that Nick isn't 350 to 400 pounds because you would be amazed to see all of the things that Nick puts into his body. And so he came back from uh, going to Ideal Market over here in Clearview and he brought with him this big, this big platter of food and he also had this bag of chicharrones. And he's like, you ever had one of these before? And I'm like, I've never had one of these. So he pulls it out and I mean, it is basically just fat on a bone. And I'm just like, well, I've got to try this. Like, I like the, like the, you know, the, the dry, puffy kind. Surely I'm going to like this. And I begin to eat this thing. And I kid you not, I was telling somebody about this earlier. By the time I was finished eating it, there was a puddle of grease in the palm of my hand. And when I tell you that I haven't had something that good in a long time, I mean it. It was the most incredible flavor I have tasted in the longest time. And as I thought about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God and God's vision for your life and flourishing is a lot like chicharrones. (laughs) Because in that moment, I got a taste of something that makes me want it all the more. And the idea of God's vision for your life, of flourishing, is He's just beginning to give us a taste of what flourishing actually is and what it will be like. And we begin to get a taste of who God is and what His kingdom is like and what His vision for our lives is and what flourishing will be like to basically give us this desire that we want more. And we can trust that we will have more because we know that our hope for tomorrow is based on God's faithfulness. If He said it, He will do it. The vision for flourishing 
is based on His faithfulness. But if God is faithful, it leaves something for us. The purpose is our faithfulness. There's a hope for tomorrow, and there's a purpose for today. The purpose is our faithfulness. Let me lay a few things out for you. Number one, we can misunderstand God's faithfulness. And here's what I mean by that. What I mean by that is we can make this assumption that, okay, if this is what God is going to do, then I don't have any part in it. Then it's all up to God, and then I just need to sit back and and not do anything and let God take care of everything. That's called fatalism. If you're familiar with that kind of language, it's basically like God has set everything in motion. There's nothing that I can do about it. Let God do His thing, and I'll be quiet. And the vision in all of Scripture, Old Testament and New Testament, is yes, a God who is in control, a God who is sovereign, but at the same time, it is a God who gives His creation, humanity, a part to play. A part to have in this vision. Listen to how one commentator describes this. He says, as we look to the new heavens and the new earth, we must not think because they are coming, it doesn't matter what we do. The truth is the other way around. Because they're coming, we can choose to be faithful today. We shape our future. See, God's faithfulness to His promise of what He will bring to pass should lead us to then want to, desire to, inspire to be faithful ourselves. That we're saying, God, listen, we know that you're going to accomplish this, but we know you want to use us, so we're going to come alongside you and be faithful to the vision that you've called all of humanity to. We can misunderstand God's faithfulness. Number two, but we can also be motivated by God's faithfulness. When you read Isaiah 65 and you see a vision for what our world and our lives are to be like, that should motivate you to want to be a part of it. Again, listen to how one author says it. He says, God's tomorrow gives us vision, motivation, and resilience in the cultivation of the peculiar way of life for God's people. When you're trying to help somebody, it can get really challenging. It can be difficult. Because people, me and you included, are messed up. We're deeply flawed and we're deeply broken. And many of us, especially the older we get, I'm just saying what I've learned about myself, it's harder to change. And so we can get caught up in this this kind of cycle in our minds where it's like, listen, I've tried to help that person. They don't want to change. I'm done helping. And that's easy to get into, especially when you tried to help multiple people and you don't see any fruit from your work. But God's vision of flourishing for our life, His faithfulness, His saying, listen, I'm going to create the new heavens and the new earth. I'm going to create joy without weeping. I'm going to do these things should motivate us and inspire us to say, listen, the work that I'm doing is not in vain. Me sharing the gospel with that family member or that friend, me caring for that person who keeps using me and using me and using me, none of those things are in vain. Because God is doing a work. And so God's faithfulness should motivate us and inspire us to be faithful ourselves. 
We know what we're working towards. We're working towards the flourishing of humanity. We know why we're working. Because it's not our vision, it's God's vision. We know how our work will end. Isaiah 65, we know that there is an end to this vision. But we can also follow God's faithfulness. I want you to write that word down in your notes. If you're taking notes, just write it down. Follow. We can follow God's faithfulness. Luke chapter 17, again, the ministry of Jesus. Being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus answered them, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed, nor will they say, look, here it is, or there. For behold, the kingdom of God is where? In the midst of you. What is Jesus saying? He's saying it's in the midst of you because who's in the midst of you? Jesus. So I want you to understand this. Because we can get caught up in this reality where it's like, no, no, no. I've got to work. We've got to work. We've got to bring God's kingdom. We've got to do something. We're the change that the world needs to see. If we don't do something, nothing's going to happen. I mean, there's a sense in, in which... That can be helpful and that can be motivating, but it's wrong. Because what is Jesus saying? The kingdom of God is already here. We just talked about that. The kingdom of God is in your midst. Who is leading the way? Jesus. And because Jesus is leading the way, it leads us to read passages like Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. So there's this tension in our lives as followers of Jesus. There's, there's, there's this tension where we have to recognize that God is in front of us. The Lord is in front of us. This is His vision. It's not our vision. He's leading the way. And at the same time, we have a part to play to seek first the kingdom of God. I, I think a lot of times we think about it like this. We see a lost, broken, hurting world. And we see that this, there's this burden. I mean, imagine this burden as like this massive, heavy backpack. And we think the only way to alleviate that burden is to pick the backpack up and put it on our shoulders and carry the backpack. But what the New Testament and all of Scripture shows us is that that's not the way to go about the kingdom of God, that's not the way to pursue flourishing. Instead, the vision should be the Lord is before us clearing away. Think about football. We, we were joking about this as I was sharing this message with the staff. Like, you ever, you're familiar with like a lead blocker? I don't, we don't use those a lot in football anymore. But like old school football, there was somebody in front of a runner or a wide receiver clearing the way for whoever had the ball to run the ball up the field and ultimately score a touchdown. If there's no lead blocker, it makes it almost impossible for the ball to move. And we should be thinking about the kingdom of God and this vision for flourishing less like, let me put the backpack on and relieve the burden and more like, listen, God's in front of me clearing the way so I can be about pursuing flourishing in our world. Listen to how one writer says it. He says, The church is not responsible 
for the extension of God's shalom. You might read that and be like, wait, Dustin, what are you talking about? I, I thought the last three weeks, that's what we've been talking about. Listen to what he says. The church is not responsible for the extension of God's shalom in a way that relies on us to incrementally bring it into existence. We can't do that. Rather, the church is a people who embody, everybody say embody, embody the eschatological, there it is again, or the end reality that in Christ the shalom community of God has been and is being restored. We can't bring about this, ver- this vision of flourishing by ourselves. Instead, what we have been called to do is to embody this vision. Another way to put this is that we are to be a faithful presence. We're to be a faithful presence in our broken world. I recently finished reading a book called to change the world. And in this book, he talks about this idea of faithful presence. And he says this, formation is about learning to live the alternative reality of the kingdom of God within the present world order faithfully. When you are a faithful presence, what you are doing is you're recognizing that at the end of the day, the vision for flourishing belongs to God. It's his responsibility. It's his vision. He's the one who will carry it out. But your responsibility as a follower of Jesus is to not do nothing. What we are meant to do is to be a faithful presence of the Lord's work in a very broken world. Think about it like this. Our faithful presence should, number one, witness It should witness. Write these words down. It should witness. And what I mean by that, that word witness, is it should testify to God's vision for our world. So when we're out and about in our daily lives and someone says, man, is not the world broken? Why are there so many mass shootings? Or why is there so much hurt and pain? Why is there poverty? Why is there world wars? Why are all of these things happening? The answer that we should give is we should witness to God's vision of flourishing. We should tell people it's broken because of this, but God has an answer for these things. We witness to that. But number two, we nurture God's vision. I think this is part of our responsibility in being a faithful presence. When you find opportunities in life where God puts before you something to say, listen, here's an opportunity to be about flourishing, to be about this vision. You have an opportunity to nurture it. Think about planting trees and and vegetables and plants. We talk about this all the time you're not responsible necessarily for the soil. You didn't create the soil. You're not responsible for the sunlight. You're not responsible for the water. Those are all things God created. But you can begin to take those things and nurture that plant. In the same way, God has given us this vision for flourishing. We witness to it. We say, listen, this is what God hopes for when he sees a world that is flourishing. And then what we do is we cultivate, we nurture the world around us. Parents, this is so important for each one of us. If you have a child, you have a responsibility to nurture them into flourishing. 
God's way. Employer, if you have employees around you, you have a responsibility to help them figure out how to flourish God's way. Citizen, by the way, that's all of you. You have a part to play in helping our community and our world understand what it looks like to flourish God's way. This is what it means to be a faithful presence. We witness and we nurture and then we invite others into this flourishing. This is why we tell people about Jesus. Because the vision that God gives us in his scripture says there is no flourishing outside of Jesus. You could have meals, you could have a roof over your head, you could have a fantastic job, you could have wonderfully great relationships. But if you don't have Jesus, you cannot flourish. So we tell other people about Jesus. And we say that the way to flourishing is to have a relationship with Him because Jesus is the one that gets us back into relationship with our Father, our Creator, our Sustainer, our Redeemer. But at the same time, like I've been telling you, one of the ways in which we invite other people into this is saying, listen, Jesus doesn't want to just change you spiritually. He wants to change you physically. He wants to provide for your physical, tangible needs. He wants you to eat. He wants you to have a home. He wants you to have healthy relationships. He wants you to deal with your trauma. He wants you to have all of those sorts of things. So one of the ways we invite other people into that is we see people who have needs and we say, let me care for you. Let me help you work through those physical, tangible, real needs that you have. And along the way, I'm going to tell you about Jesus and how Jesus is the only answer to all of these problems. So when we see this vision for flourishing, that's our responsibility. We're a faithful presence. And in doing so, we witness to who God is and what God's vision is. We nurture that vision and we invite other people into it. So the question for you and I is then, how can you be a faithful presence of God's flourishing wherever he's placed you? Like at the end of the day, it really doesn't matter where you're at. Right? It doesn't matter whether you're here in the New Orleans area, whether you're on the other side of the world. It doesn't matter if you're a stay-at-home mom. It doesn't matter if you own your own business. It doesn't matter if like, you're an introvert or you're an extrovert. God has put you somewhere. And his vision for your life is to say, okay, how can, how can you witness and nurture and invite others into this vision where they understand that this is the thing that they've been looking for all along? And it's so cliche, but you ever hear people talk about like that God-sized ache? I know, I, I know. Like it's so cliche, like God created you with this hole. And the only way that you'll be satisfied is if he fills that. But I don't know. That's true. <laughs> it's so true. And at the core of all of that is like everybody wants to flourish. And we look every other place to say maybe it's this. Maybe if I have this job, maybe if I have this amount of money, maybe if I have these relationships, maybe if I do these hobbies, maybe if I travel, maybe if I can retire at 50. 
when God has given us a vision for what flourishing looks like. And what each one of us are called to do is to be a faithful presence to witness, nurture, and invite. If you ever spend any time reading leadership books, one of the things that you will come across is when people talk about beginning with the end in mind. Because a lot of times, when you begin with the end in mind, you reverse engineer what you want. And that's true in leadership. That's true in business. Like, hey, if I want this, then I start here and I work backwards. And what I want you to begin to think about for your life and for our church's life and for our community is to begin with the end in mind. We already have the end. You don't have to get creative with this stuff. We have the end. God's given us the vision of what the end is. And so what we are responsible for is to say, okay, here's the end. How do we take this vision of what flourishing looks like and reverse engineer it to get people there? And I just want to close by giving you another vision of the end. One that maybe you're more familiar with, but you'll see overlaps with Isaiah 65. It says this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I'm making all things new. Also, he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage. And I will be his God, and he will be my son. Revelation chapter 21. This is the end. This is the destination. This is the vista that we're all looking to get to. This is the vision of what flourishing looks like. You begin with the end in mind. And you reverse engineer to recognize that there is a hope for tomorrow because God is faithful. And there is a purpose for today that can be our faithfulness. And maybe not in your lifetime or my lifetime, but in the end, when we all stand before the Lord, we recognize that the work we did on this side of eternity was not done in vain. But it was done for what we are experiencing. When Jesus returns and he makes all things new and the taste of flourishing 
the chicharrones on this side will come to fruition and we'll see what we were always meant to experience. Flourishing. Shalom. This is God's vision. Let's pray. Father, we love you. And we thank you, Father, that you know us better than we know ourselves. God, that when we think we might have an idea of what we need or what we want, you already know what we need. God, help each one of us in this room understand that satisfaction is found in you alone. The kind of flourishing that you created us to experience is found in you alone. Help us to understand, God, that you have called us in a particular way, God, to witness to, to nurture, and to invite others into that flourishing. And God, that in the end, when we stand before you, your vision will be made complete. May that, Father, be the guide to our life. May your vision be our vision. Help us, Father, to live it out. We love you. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Thank you for joining the Vintage Church NOLA podcast. If you're enjoying this content, please subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. We'll see you next week.